Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Stand with me, if you would, please. Welcome all of you watching online. We pray that you had a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving and that while you're resting today, you're enjoying this worship experience. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Good job. I thought I'd leave a little bit of that to you all. Well, we're so glad that you are here and watching online. Uh, we're continuing this series, What's Up? And we're talking about what started last week talking about waking up our faith. And that doesn't just happen automatically. Faith resides in us, but the faith has to be activated in order for it to operate. And there are several different ways that faith uh, is awakened, and I'll share those with you today. If you're a note taker, it'll be a very simple day, line upon line, uh, for you to be able to write these things down and, and really ask yourself the question, what am I doing to activate faith in my life? And uh, I'll give you the three highlights right out, uh, right out of the shoot here. Number one, and I'll preach on it in just a moment, is desperation. A lot of people, if not most people, probably operate uh, out of faith in desperate times. Don't have enough money to pay the bills. Lost my job. My car's broken down. And, and you know, I, I'm not feeling well. I'm sick. I don't know what to do about it. I'm desperate, God. I need you to intervene. And uh, that's the first one. The second way to activate your faith is determination. That you have decided in your life every day that you are determined when you wake up in the morning to say thank you, Jesus, and make Jesus first and to begin that day saying whatever I have to do to connect to Jesus, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm determined, regardless of the things I'm desperate about, I'm determined to turn those things over to Jesus and include Jesus in what I'm going through. Uh, many times people say, well, you know, I got this, or I'm going to do the things I've always been told to do, or I know to do, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do those things, but I'm determined to include Jesus in that situation. And then, this one is one that religious people really hate, is exercising faith for the things that you desire. Religion says that we really shouldn't desire anything. We should just really be okay with the way everything is. But if the Bible says if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our hearts. So it's important that we realize how to make faith uh, run, work, whatever, if you will. And in Hebrews eleven six. Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He uses that word earnestly. That's by design. Who earnest, Not just those who seek him, but those who intentionally are determined to seek him. The other thing I like about this verse, without faith it's impossible to please him. So God says, I want there to be things in your life, I'm not causing them, but that bring pleasure to me. And faith is what brings pleasure to the heart of God. So it's very, very important that we find ways to exercise faith every day. And sometimes... Uh, if we don't write those things down, we don't, we don't purposefully uh, exercise our faith every day before long. As I said last week, 
we'll just live life by rote. It's just, this is what we do. This is how we drive to work. This is where we've worked for 10 years. I'm probably going to be here the rest of my life. Uh, this is the house I've lived in for a long time. I would like a bigger one, but I, I'm so used to it. And you just get used to things. And without realizing it, the devil loves it when you are not aware of exercising faith in some area of your life. What are you believing for? Now, you don't tell everybody because there will always be people that will want to sabotage your faith, discourage your faith, <laughs> rain on your faith. Uh, they don't have any faith. They're not exercising any faith. And the minute you start talking faith, it irritates them. Let me tell you why. Because faith is an exercise, just like going to the gym. Sometimes having faith is a pain because you don't see anything happening and maybe you've been exercising faith for a long period of time and nothing's happened and before long, you just give up. And, or, and you don't even intentionally give up. You've just not seen anything happen, so you just lay down spiritually, if you will. And so very important, oftentimes faith becomes fatigued without a purpose to pursue. So in order for faith to not become atrophied, and, and like your muscles can atrophy if you don't use them, your faith becomes atrophied if you don't use your faith. And, and before long, it's weak, it has, it has no muscle to it, and you have at that point allowed, a lot of people blame Satan for things, but we allow the devil place in our lives. We open the door to him in our lives. And one of the ways we shut the door to the devil is by intentionally articulating faith every day. Not just every day, but throughout every day, we are articulating faith. And so I'm approaching a new year. We're all approaching a new year. So this, this message series is very important because if I were to sit down individually with each one of you and say, what do you want to happen in 2023? Just, just off the cuff, honestly, most people would not have an answer for that. You haven't thought about it. You haven't given consideration to it. You've, you've not really, and then the minute you start considering, well, you know, I don't really like the car. I'd like to get another car. And then somebody comes along and says, well, you just need to be happy with the one you've got. That's a religious demon. Why should I just be happy with the one I've got? Now, I'm happy with God. Now, I'm thankful in all things. I'm thankful for those things. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, God put something in you and you, you have not said anything about it, even to God, because you're afraid to ask. There was a man who was having a conversation with God and praying. He was an older man. He lived a long life. And one day, he hears this voice saying, well, what, what can I do for you? And the man said, you know, I've always been afraid to fly, but I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. So my fear of flying has kept me from one of my great desires in life. And he said, God, would you do me this favor? Would you build me a highway from the continental U.S. to the islands? And God said, well, that's, that's just really, really a long way. And that, that'd really be a, a task. Is, is there something else I could do for you? The man said, well, God, you know, I'm, I'm older now, and I've been married four times. I've been very unsuccessful at being married. And he said, you know, I, I've been told I, I'm, I'm not kind. I'm insensitive. I, I need for you to help me, God understand women and God said do you want two lanes or four lanes <laughs> some of you got it and some of you'll have to talk about it now don't get mad at me it's just a joke but but sometimes we we really are afraid to ask God things thinking that God won't build the highway we want so we go to the second and the third request and the fourth and on and on until finally we ask God something that we feel like is easy enough for him to do well let me just say this to you nothing's impossible with God and so we need to not be hesitant in in what we want or requesting what we want but giving God opportunity in anticipating uh, I, I think I shared this last week. C.S. Lewis said, I gave in and admitted that God was God, that God is God. I finally gave in and, and decided God is God. I'm not. And that if I'm having faith in me or faith in my skills or faith in my abilities, that's not what you have faith in. And a lot of people have faith in faith. 
They don't have faith in God. They have faith in their faith. Well, I have faith, and therefore I have faith that this is going to happen. No, I have faith in God that this could come to pass. Because the minute you start having faith in faith, you're just having faith in this inanimate thing going on, and you don't, it's not going to move anything. What moves God is when we put God in a position to be moved. And God likes that. A lot of people think it's wrong, but, uh, you know, I grew up in a church that way where, you know, you just, you just got by. You just, you know, whatever you had, you had, and, and that, was gonna, that was supposed to be enough. And as much as I love and am thankful for everything I have, there are things I still want from God. There are still things I'm believing for. There are things that I want God to do. And you say, well, can't you just be sad? I'm very satisfied in life, but I'm not satisfied that I've extracted all that God wants me to extract from him. God wants us to pull on. He said, call me in remembrance of my word. The Bible is filled with promises. Religious people see the Bible as only filled with mandates and requirements and do's and don'ts. But the Bible is filled with promises. And, and there are always a, a, a responsibility of mankind to activate those promises. And it always takes faith to activate those. I say it all the time. You know, you read Deut- Deuteronomy 28, and out of obedience, God promises all these wonderful things will happen. The willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. Such a promise. If I'm willing and obedient, God has promised that good things are going to happen. And so uh, it's not about works, but it's about working faith in your life. And, and one person put it this way. In life, you need either inspiration or desperation or both. You need some form of inspiration, which is really what I would love if people said, you know, I just want to go to church because I want to be inspired. I don't know who you listen to throughout the week. If all you listen to is country music, get you an old beat-up guitar and act like you can sing. And I'm not discrediting country music, but if all you do is listen to songs, those songs will take you places that God hasn't told you to go. Nothing wrong with them. I'm just saying, what leads you to a place of faith? What leads you to a desire or a determination to go far beyond what somebody's singing about? The Bible is what we need to be inspired by. Uh, I've told you many times, a lot of people when they work out, they're listening to, you know, Rocky music or some kind of music and they, you know, they feel like they can get pumped up. My way of getting pumped up is listening to the Bible or somebody preach the Bible. Try working out and listening to a sermon. Maybe one of mine. Anyway, so, but the idea is that you're filling your soul with faith while you're working out. Now, you may not get all sweaty and all that stuff. You could if you really listen closely, but most people are just listening to a beat or a rhythm, and it's driving them, but the Word of God is what's supposed to drive us, motivate us, inspire us, but you need inspiration or desperation. So let's talk for a moment about desperate faith. In Luke chapter 8, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. You've all heard this story, but I want to reread it. Repetition's the mother of learning. But no one could heal her. Wouldn't you say she's desperate by now? She's tried everything, spent all of her money. Now, in the beginning, she probably wasn't desperate. She didn't seek God first, or she didn't seek Jesus first, or maybe she didn't know about him. But all of a sudden, she's at a place... And, you know, you hear people say it all the time. I've gone to this doctor, that doctor. I've had this test and that test, and I've done this and I've done that. And then somebody said, can I pray for you? Oh, that'd be a great idea. Why didn't you start there? Desperation led this lady to a place of nobody can help me but Jesus. And it says she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, this is where it gets interesting because even his disciples didn't understand what was happening here. Now, you got a, got a question. I always question the disciples because they weren't the sharpest tool in the shed. These guys followed Jesus around. They saw things happening, but they still didn't quite get it. Jesus says, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, Peter is my ticket to heaven this man's denying Jesus questioning Jesus I mean this guy cutting off ears trying to stop the destiny of God 
Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touch me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. A lot of people that look around the world and they look around things ha happening and, 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 and negative things happening and somebody not getting their miracle or whatever, we don't know the end from the beginning. We don't know why some people get healed and some people don't. We'll never know that. But because we don't know that, many people just decide, why should I even exercise faith in Jesus? Because I know people who have died. I do too. But what does it cost you to exercise faith in Jesus Christ? What does it cost? It costs you absolutely nothing. And, and this lady didn't care. The crowds are around her. She, she obviously probably didn't smell real good. She's sick. She's had issues. And, but she decides, I am a desperate woman. This is my last hope. There is no other hope. She had done everything she could, and something happened. The disciples are like, how in the world can you know it? Because Jesus said, I felt power leave my body. When we exercise faith, we're pulling on the strength and the power of God. And I, every day, am pulling, especially for this church, on the, the power and strength of God. I'm not mad at anybody, but I realize there are a lot of people watching online, people that will watch this podcast or on Facebook this week, that, that are just kind of being lackadaisical after everything that's happened from the pandemic to the recession, and a lot of people have lost their faith. They haven't lost their eternity or their eternal home or their relationship with God, but they've lost their faith. Many people are going to be just happy enough just to go to heaven. Let me tell you, I'm not happy enough until heaven comes to earth. We shouldn't be waiting on heaven. We ought to be pulling on heaven. We ought to be exercising faith that causes Jesus to go, I felt something leave my person. Power leaving my body. I want Jesus to be able to say, I heard Mark Crow pray, and I felt power being, being released out of my person. This woman was desperate. And the challenge is, in a beautiful, wonderful country like America, which is losing its soul, we didn't have to be desperate. I've been in countries where... There, there was very little food, and the food that existed was unhealthy. It wasn't even good for you, but it, it filled a void in your body. In America, you can get food anywhere. You can stop in one place and get everything you want in, in, in a minute, and nobody's going to attack you. Nobody's going to be fighting for it. There are plenty of things there. As a result, I think the convenience that we enjoy, which I love, has robbed us of faith. You have to have faith. You have to exercise. I, I was driving in a, a foreign country, and it was a very impoverished country. And uh, what they would do, they, it was so poor that they would set up road checks or these checkpoints on the highways, on the roads, and they would pull you over. And the reason they would pull you over, if they saw you, that they would look at you, and if they felt like you had any money in this particular country, I looked like I had more than most. And they, they told me, let me see your license. And I had been instructed by some of the, the locals, do never, never give them your license. They won't give it back. And so he said, give me your license. I said, I'm not giving you my license. He said, then we're going to take you to jail. Well, then the next step that most people mistake they make is to give them money because that's what they're there for is a bribe. Well, I kind of felt desperate, so rather than giving them anything, I just put it in gear and drove off. 
And you say, what kind of Christian are you? I'm a smart Christian. And let me tell you why. What I didn't tell you is, at these checkpoints, there are no police cars because they don't have the money to have them. So I knew nobody was going to chase me. But in that moment, I felt desperate. I'm thinking, I'm in a country where if they put you in jail here, they put you in jail. You're not going to eat good meals. There, 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 there's no order. There's not nothing. It, it makes our prison system look like the Ritz-Carlton. And so you, there was this sense of desperation that I had to exercise faith that if I drive off, there's not going to be one police car coming after me. I had violated no laws. I had done nothing. They were just trying to get money out of me. So had I broken a law, I'd been glad to pay. And, and, and so there are those moments where in your life, you're going to feel very desperate. Now, if you get pulled over in Oklahoma City, don't drive off. <laughs> uh, I know what you're telling me. Well, my pastor did it. And, you know, thank you very little. I did it in a country where you had to drive off or you were going to end up in a bad place. Don't create desperate situations. And so this is where people create desperate. And even if you do, I believe you pray. But my dad always instructed me as a kid. I started working very young. And I'd take whatever job I could get because I had no experience. Your first job is always that job. You don't, you don't get hired on somewhere. You know, you have no experience. Everybody knows that you're a kid. And so I, I, my first job was dipping ice cream. And I wasn't very big, so I was known as the little dipper. And so, I, I didn't like that job, but my dad told me, I don't care if you like it or not, you don't leave this job until you get another job. Any of you ever heard that? Now, some people say, well, I ain't had one, so I don't know what that means. But I realized what he was saying is, don't create your own desperate situation. Be smarter than that situation and, and have wisdom. So, don't go around creating desperation, but desperation keeps us focused. Desperate faith keeps us focused. One person said, there's nothing like desperation to sharpen your sense of focus. When people get desperate, they'll take any job. When first they start thinking, well, I want this job. They can't get it. I want this job. They can't get it. And then you get down to the base and you go, I'm desperate now. I got to have a job. Rent's coming due. Things are happening. And I'll take whatever I need to take to get back up to where I want to go. So desperation also has some wisdom with it. Desperate faith doesn't look for approval or permission from others to seek God. You know, a lot of times you will have a desperate situation. You'll talk to a family member. And what you're really looking for is their approval of what you're about to do or what you need. You're, you know, if this lady with the issue of blood had talked to a family member and they said, well, you know, she said, Jesus is coming to town. I said, oh, you don't want to fight the crowds. It's like Christmas at Oklahoma City in 2020, 23. It's coming up, 2022. Don't want to fight the crowds. And so people will talk you out of your faith. The minute you get desperate enough to do something that somebody else thinks is demeaning, why would you do that? Let everybody know you're sick. Let everybody know that you're desperate. Hey, look, man, when you're desperate, you're desperate. I've been there. And, and I've realized that sometimes what you have to do is you have to humble yourself in the midst of that desperation to get the answer from God. There was a time I was traveling and, and preaching, and, and uh, I had a, offered to me a line of, of product to sell while I was preaching. And it was really pretty cool stuff. But something happened that in the, in the midst of all this that this company had given me these products to sell and I would have to pay them. Well, I got, I got upside down a little bit. Uh, it could be embarrassing to tell you this, but it's really not because doing the best I could. And all I did was I called the company and I admitted my desperation. I said, you know, here's the situation and I didn't try to blame them. And, and just by admitting I was desperate, I was in need, it was a Christian company and, and they forgave me some of the debt. Now, it's important to understand that you're going to make mistakes and some of your mistakes will create desperation. Don't get angry at somebody else for the decisions you made or didn't make. Be humble enough 
to honor God and say, God, I'm going to exercise faith. What I did was a mistake. I admit that mistake. I repent for that mistake. And you do the same with the people that you're, you're having difficulty with. And, and uh, God can work through that. But God will never work through pride. Desperate faith looks for miracles and is willing to do whatever it takes to get the miracle. That's what desperate faith is. So there are many people in today's world that are desperate. And the problem with desperation is, is that none of us want to admit we're desperate because we oftentimes create the desperate situation like I did. And I learned a lesson from that, a very good lesson. And uh, I've not put myself in that position again. I decided, you know what, I, I would rather not have the product that, that gave me a little bit of a bump in my traveling ministry, which back in that day, everybody had product because you were living off of love offerings, and oftentimes there wasn't a lot of love. <laughs> I never forget, I was preaching in one church in Choplin, Missouri, and uh, at the end of it, the pastor, I went in his office, sat down, and he gave me an envelope, and I opened it, and it was almost nothing. And I looked at him, I put it back on his desk, and I said, I think your church needs this more than I do. It was that bad. <laughs> and I didn't take the money. I thought, this is terrible. I'm desperate, and you're, you're throwing me a crumb. I was hoping for at least a loaf of bread. But, you know, we've all been in desperate places, and uh, we hopefully learn in those times to look to God. Secondly, determined faith. A faith that is awake... See, desperation awakens you. Determined faith is a faith that's already awake and is willing to not give up, not quit when things are not going well. You decide that I'm not basing my determination on how good I am. I'm basing my determination to get to God on how good He is and that I am determined to do whatever it takes. Like every Sunday morning I get up and my routine is to spend time praying and, and to, to confess things and declare things that are not as though they already were. I, I'm believing God this morning. I said, I'm, I'm standing up. And, you know, I pastored a church uh, at one time, thousands of people. And now I'm simply saying, God, I want a thousand people. And, and that's very kind of humbling to say in, here and online. But I'm going, I know my capacity. And I certainly know God's capacity. And so I'm looking and going, God, I am determined. I'm not desperate because I'm old enough and smart enough to know that I don't need to be desperate. I serve a God who's able to do anything. So now there are desperate moments, but I don't have to be desperate anymore. I'm just determined that I'm going to get through this. I'm determined that, that regardless of what goes on in our country, regardless of who's in charge or not in charge, at the end of the day, God's ultimately in charge. And that I am determined to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, not just in heaven. And so... Yeah, you, you can clap. It's really quite all right. Because some of y'all need to suck it up and get determined and quit crying and quit whining and quit saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen to us. Things are so bad. Just rise up and say, I am determined to connect with the provision of God, the peace that passes all understanding, the joy that's unspeakable. I'm looking to God and I am not bowing my knee to my crisis. I'm bowing my knee to the one who took care of my crisis thousands of years ago and still doing so. Now, this is what I love. The man, there's a man in the Bible that all of you are familiar with. His name's Zacchaeus. And the Bible tells us he's a little bitty man. Now, it's, it, it, he would be, you couldn't say that today. It'd be politically incorrect. You, matter of fact, I'd probably be a hate speech if I said, wee little Zacchaeus. But the reality is, for some reason, it's identified in the Bible as him being a, a little, little guy. You, you couldn't write a, a song today like, the, like in the 80s when, you know, or late 70s short people got no reason. That was a hit song. And I knew some short people, and it really hurt them. I mean, think about hearing that over. Short people have no reason, no reason. I'm thinking, well, if I'm short and I'm hearing that over and over, maybe I wake up one day and I got no reason. So I think it's interesting that Zacchaeus, this wee little guy, and he had heard about Jesus. Now, you understand, he was not desperate. He had a bunch of money. 
Zacchaeus was a thief. He was wealthy. He was a tax collector. He, he had everything going for him. He wasn't desperate for anything. He had a great home. He had, he had plenty of money. He didn't have a lot of friends. Now, I, I don't know what really drove him to be this way, but listen to this. And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, and there was a man called Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And most of you would stop right there and say, why would he have any need to be determined to do anything? He's already made his wealth. He's good. And he was trying to see Jesus, which, which one uh, he was, but he could not on account of the crowd because he was, a small, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now stop here just a minute. This is a man of high status and he's climbing a tree in a public place. Instead of getting some of his cronies to clear away and put him right on the front row of the pathway that Jesus was walking, he is so determined that he didn't care what anybody thought. And it says he climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him. And he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Hey, little man. No, that's not what he said. He called him by name. Now, now that right there would jazz me. He had never face-to-face -face met Jesus, and yet Jesus calls him by name. I'd be like chest-bumping something. That sycamore tree be boom. He knows my name. And the other thing is, he's so determined that there are people in that crowd that know him. Jesus never met him. And, and, and you can imagine that he's thinking, man, I'm not sure. Some of these people may kill me. They may want to kill me. They, many of them want to. But he said, I'm so determined to, to, to meet Jesus or to see Jesus that I'll do whatever it takes to get his attention. I am determined to get his attention. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received and welcomed him joyfully. You see, when you use the name of Jesus and you are determined to either pull on him or glorify him, in today's world, you run the risk of being called a Jesus freak or weird. In our government facilities, in our schools, you can use the name God, but when you start using the name Jesus, you have just been identified as a freak. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, a person who is thinking catastrophically, I'm, I'm a, about our world, our schools. I'm thinking, I, I, I really wish, and you'd be laughed out of Congress, Senate, you'd be laughed out of politics if you said, you know, why don't we try putting God and the Bible back in public institutions? Yeah. It's just a thought. You say, well, that, you know, and I would, I would even vote for, and, and let's go ahead and put the Koran in there. Let's go ahead and put every other Bible in the schools. You know why? Because I know which one wins. I'm not afraid of any of the other religions. I'm not afraid of being nice to anybody else. I, I believe if somebody wants to be a Muslim, be a Muslim. Now, listen to what I'm about to say, because some of y'all are about to choke on that. I can't make them not be who they want to be. But I can be who I want to be and shine a light in the midst of a darkness that they will never see without Jesus. Christians have taken the wrong approach. When I was a youth pastor, that was one of the things that happened. I was trying to get the Bible back in public schools. And what I said was, I'm not asking you to make other religions cease exercising their faith in whatever they have faith in. I'm not asking. Because see, to me, that would be hateful. If you want to be an idiot, I think you have the freedom to be. If you want to be another religion, I think you have the freedom to be. I'm not afraid that God can't overtake anything. It doesn't scare me. I have faith and I am determined to love everybody regardless of what they believe. But I'm also determined to exercise my faith and lift Jesus up, my Lord and Savior. I think we'd win a lot more people if, if we just loved everybody 
and just exalted Jesus without putting them down. The problem is we put other people down and try to make them feel bad about what they believe instead of being happy about what we believe and letting them look at our joy and our peace and our confidence and everything and, and let them be drawn to him. He said, if I be lifted up, not if I beat everybody else down, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And, and if anybody ever said anything to me, I was in the school system, I said, no, 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 I want you to be able to have your little Muslim club or your Buddha club or whatever it is. I don't think, I think you ought to be able to do that, but I think Jesus ought to be able to have a club too. And so what I see is everybody in our world putting other people down for what they believe, what they do, what they don't do. Just lift your own life up. Lift Jesus up. Be determined to walk with God. I don't have time to put somebody else down and tell everybody else they're wrong. I, I'm, I'm wrong about some things. Just ask my wife. And I'm okay with that. But I don't have to put her down to make myself look better. I don't have to put you down. We don't have to put anybody else down. That, that's not determination. I'm determined to make sure that Jesus is overcoming the world. No, you need to make sure Jesus is overcoming you. And that he is taking care of you and your light will then shine in the darkness. The problem is we, we're just too busy hating on everybody instead of loving on everybody. Now, obviously, it's okay to have boundaries and all that, but, but our words change things. We can tell. Listen to this. When confronted with hostile language, the definition of which varies from person to person, a simple no can be saw, seen as negativity to a lot of people. You tell somebody no, and they feel defeated. You tell some other people no, and they get more determined. Now, their determination shouldn't be in defiance of your no, but just to say, I know God put this to me. Well, you know, I'd like to be a doctor. No, you, you, nobody in our family's ever been a doctor. Well, that doesn't mean that you're going to defy the words of somebody else. It just means you're going to believe the word of God over their word. And that you're going to be kind and loving towards someone who told you no. But, but no does have a way of impacting us and hurting our feelings. The amygdala wakes up. That's the emotional part of your brain. As a matter of fact, one of the latest diagnoses of mental illness is called borderline personality disorder. And the problem with that is the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala don't connect. So people who are highly emotional can just go off, blast you, and 10 minutes later you're their best friend because it never registered in their logic that their emotions just went off. And so now that, that amygdala is possessing all the emotions that we have and the feelings that we have, and you have to retrain your brain. They've found no medication to take care of it, but communication is what creates a highway between how you feel and how you think. And so the prefrontal cortex is the area of logic, and when somebody has a feeling, until that's checked by the logic, they'll just go off. Instead of saying, you know, boy, I really, that person that pulled out in front of me, it's called road rage. And, and rather than letting your, your logic kick in and say, man, that was really stupid, made me feel angry, but I'm not going to be stupid back. That's when your brain is working together, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex working together to make you not do something that you shouldn't do. And so now, somebody hears that, it, it creates this feeling, it awakens that part of the brain, and this is the brain's fear center, and it floods our body with stress hormones and neurotransmitters. It's harder to think clearly, reason, process language, and communicate. It's harder to handle that client presentation, crunch those numbers, write that report, or lead that team meeting. Why? Because you're not thinking, you're feeling. And now, feelings are valid. There's nothing wrong with having feelings. As a matter of fact, we all, we all have feelings. So the best thing you can do with someone who struggles with their emotions is to rise to that level that they're feeling in order to validate what they're feeling. You're not agreeing with it. You're validating it. When I was growing up, I was told, don't cry. That's wrong. Stop. Quit acting that way. But what I realized when I started studying this, because I had someone very close to me that had this, and I was taught when that emotion begins to go up, go up with it. One time my daughter calls me. She goes, Dad, 
Somebody stole a camera out of my car. She was really emotional about it. And what she was really emotional about, she's very diligent to lock her car, but she didn't. Somebody steals the camera, and she's going up. So rather than me saying, honey, it's okay, I'll buy you another one. Because isn't that the simple what parents do? I just want to get my kid to shut up. I just want to fix the problem. Well, you know what? The worst thing we can do is fix somebody's problem because the problem is often there to help them grow. God didn't cause it, but we can grow from it. So I said, what I did, rather than this thing stop, because I could have bought her another camera in a minute, and it would have been fine. And you know what? It would have calmed her down a little bit, but in her soul, she knew that there wasn't something right. And I said, so here's the deal. Here's what you do. I said, so that's terrible. I can't believe somebody would steal your camera. And she, she was so happy that I agreed with her. I wasn't agreeing with her response. I was agreeing with her emotion that, that, yeah, that is terrible. And it really is. But then the next thing I did, rather than trying to fix the problem, I said, tell me what you're going to do. What are you going to do about it? Well, and then, now guess what happened? Her emotions went down and her logic kicked in. And she started thinking, well, there is a security guard. I said, well, that sounds like a really good idea. So now all of a sudden, rather than attacking her emotions, I validate them, and then I start asking her how she's going to fix the problem. See, I, I could tell somebody, here's what you need to do, and here's how we fix it, here's our but what are you going to do? Well, I think I'll believe in God. I think I'll trust Jesus. I think I'll pray about it. I think I'll ask for help. All these things come rushing our way. Instead of just letting your emotions go crazy until you're exhausted, Engage your logic and say, now that happened, now what am I going to do? It changed everything. It's called dialectical behavior therapy. Because there is no medication to create a pathway from your amygdala to your prefrontal cortex except rewiring your brain. I had a neuroscientist tell me that when, a, when somebody's negative and negativity begins to take over, which is the opposite of faith, that's fear and negativity, she said they have proven through these scans of the brain that negativity creates a dark patch in the area of the brain that is thinking that way. But when someone is positive and starts communicating positively in our world, starts communicating faith, it starts creating like a tree, new branches in your brain that are bright and clear. So if you are negative, you've got all these dark spots that are holding you back, creating a dark life. And that's free. <laughs> what is negative language? According to one expert, it tells the recipient what cannot be done. It implies blame. Well, I could have said, you know what? It's your fault. You left your car unlocked. But how stupid would that be? We all forget things. We all make mistakes. Rather than telling someone they made a mistake or putting playing the blame game... Start exercising faith. If somebody stole from you, the Bible says they have to pay back seven times. That becomes my prayer. If a thief is caught stealing, they have to pay back seven times. It can change everything. My house was broken into. Over $30,000 of stuff was stolen. It hurt for a while, and then I thought, well, either I didn't need those things or I'll get them back. What are you going to do, sit here and cry over it? They're never going to find that stuff. These thieves are stupid and smart all at the same time. Now, this wasn't easy for me because used to, before, I'd had a gun going around the neighborhood. Okay, you don't know where I grew up. But I decided I've got to exercise this, this principle of, yeah, it, I feel this, but now what am I going to do in response to it? What am I capable of doing? Almost nothing. Except praying for either bad things to happen or for them to... God, may they be run over with my stuff in it, and, and then they would return it. Everything in my flesh wanted that. And I thought, you know what? I realized how much I didn't need what they stole. I had, a, I had some very special, I had a watch that 10 pastors had bought me at my 50th birthday, and it was a very expensive watch. I loved watches. It was gone in a flash, and it wasn't necessarily the watch, but it was the memory, and I thought, I don't need that. It was cool. It made me look really a lot wealthier than I was. I could fool a lot of people. Look, he's got a Breitling. Yeah, but he drives a Toyota. Anyway, so <laughs> nothing wrong with a Toyota. Some of you will get all offended. But this watch would look like I drove a Rolls Royce, which I didn't. 
You see what I'm saying? Sometimes in our brains, we convince ourselves that what we have defines who we are. What I have doesn't define who I am. God defines who I am. I get to choose to define who I am. We get to define who we are. Not defined by what I possess. I'm defined by who possesses me. But I wasn't always there because I grew up rather lower middle class. And I always thought, well, if I just had more, I would fit into society. And I realized a lot of the people I was trying to fit into are very sad and depressed people. Includes words like can't, won't, unable to. Don't stress positive actions or doesn't express positive actions or possibilities. So you tell people what can be done. Suggest alternatives and choices. Uh, you're helpful and encouraging rather than degrading and demoralizing. Emphasize positive actions and possibilities. In other words, emphasize faith. The mountain often looks larger than our faith, but our determination reduces the size of the mountain and increases our size of faith. Determination. It's interesting, I was reading this article about Alan Shepard, who was an astronaut, and he was being interviewed, and he said, it's a very sobering feeling to be up in space and realize that one safety factor was determined by the lowest bidder on a government contract. <laughs> <clears throat> But he was determined to go into space and he didn't care what else was built cheap. Desired faith. Keep faith awakened by being intentional every day. Desire is a pull on us. Determination is a push. So now all of a sudden desire starts pulling on God. Instead of determined to get to God, now my desire pulls on God. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all in the while effectually at work in you, energizing, creating in you the power and desire both to will and to do for his good pleasure and satisfaction <clears throat> and delight. Trust in, lean on, rely on, and be confident in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, feed surely on his, his faithfulness, and truly you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Sometimes we feel guilty for having desires. Sometimes we feel like religious people will tell you you should be satisfied with what you have. I am, but I want more. See, and that grates on religious people. But you know why I want more? I've always wanted more because I've always wanted to be able to do more for other people. I just wanted more. I still want more. Just to be honest with you, I wish we had a 1,000 people so we could do more for hurting people. I, I do. And, and, you know, not just paying the bills and keeping the doors open, but helping other people do the same. And we do our best, but, we, you know, honestly, we're not where I want to be. And you say, well, you ought to just be thankful you get to preach. No, I'm never just going to be satisfied with the bare minimum because that's religion. Well, you ought to just be satisfied with the bare minimum. I have no problem with the people, I, I, and I say this publicly, and, and hopefully nobody would take it wrong, but I'm thankful for David and Barbara Green and Hobby Lobby and, and their heart to help people around the world. They're the kindest, most humble people I've ever met. You'd never know what they were, their worth was, but they've taken a position to continue to believe God, and they have made the difference in more companies and people around the world than we'll ever know, and they didn't do it selfishly. But they had desires, and that desire was bigger than them. And our desires <clears throat> should be bigger than ourselves. Faith for a better job or a better house. Faith for a better car. Faith to grow in God. All these things are desires of our heart. Dwight Moody said, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. Our faith makes all things possible, but our love is what makes all things easy. And in the midst of your faith, never lose sight of love. In other words, I can't just exercise faith and run over people to get to where I want to be or get what I want to have. My faith has to work with love. That's what really makes faith work. It greases the wheels of faith. So in the midst of whatever you're believing for, whatever your desires are, never lose sight of love. Never run over people to get to where you want to go and say, boy, I, I was determined, I was desperate, whatever it was. But out of that desperation and determination, my desire was, yes, I want those things, but I want those things so they can benefit and affect other people. 
The only reason I'm in ministry today is because this is what I'm called to do and that I love I love encouraging people. I love inspiring people. I love helping you believe big and, and to believe strong. And as a result of that, many people go to churches, not just here, but around, and they get mad at pastors for telling them all the things they can have and all the things God can do. And I'm never going to stop that because that's what we're called to do. Encourage one another every day. <clears throat> Literally, provoke one another to good works. Provoke. I mean, to almost irritate somebody, you say, you're better than that. God's bigger than that. Nothing's impossible with God. Come on, let's believe big. So <clears throat> I would encourage you, as we approach a new year, to begin thinking, am I desperate in a certain area? How determined am I? What are the things we're desiring? And believe God for those things to happen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So guess what? God gives us a lot of opportunity to walk in faith. Wake it up, keep it awake. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, having faith in us. You have a tremendous amount of faith. Matter of fact, you have more faith in us than we have faith. And so God, help us in our quest to awaken our faith to rise to a higher level than it's ever risen, to see miracles we've never seen, to experience life like we've never experienced it, to love like we've never loved. With every head bowed, every eye closed, there may be those of you here who have never accepted Christ, those of you watching online, and I want us to pray a simple prayer exercising faith. Some of you are desperate. When I got born again, I was desperate. It wasn't, I wasn't even determined. I was just desperate. My life was out of control and I had to have help. I tried everything else and finally I said, I'll give you a shot, Jesus. And he didn't let me down and he never has and he won't let you down. All of you pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I exercise faith in your forgiveness. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Do it right now because you'll forget the number if you don't. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Or join us online. God bless you.